Thank you, Nairam Nadeem. All praise due to Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be on His last Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. Today, the Imam was presenting the topic of commanding the good and prohibiting evil. In Arabic, it is known as Al Amr bil Ma'roof and Nahi an al Munkar. And he began, you know, with a verse wherein Allah says that we should, you know, fear a punishment which would not afflict merely those who are sinful, but would cover everybody. And sometimes Allah punishes individuals, and sometimes the community is punished. So this is, you know, it's implying, it's talking about the situation where people are committing sins in a community and nobody speaks out against these sins or tries to stop them. And there are many examples given in the Quran, concerning especially the, the Jews, you know, about how the, the rabbis among them who knew the sins that the people were committing would not speak out. And so Allah punished all of them. And of course, whenever Allah gives some example concerning the Jews, I mean, it has two aspects to it. It has the aspect where it is letting us know some of the qualities of the Jews so that we, you know, be aware of them. We are careful of, you know, of their treachery. But at the same time, it's a warning for us that we don't fall into the same uh, characteristics, into the same you know, errors that they have fallen into. And he quoted, of course, the hadith of Rasulullah you know, wherein he said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه that you know, none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. And, you know, like this should be the motivating force. He mentioned this hadith as like the motivating force for uh, commanding the good and prohibiting the evil. Because the same way that we, you know, see certain things that we consider good for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to earn for ourselves reward in the next life, etc. These things that we see important and good for ourselves, we should also, we should also wish for others, for our brother Muslims. So it becomes a duty for, for us to call others to what we recognize as good and righteousness in society, for ourselves, for society as well as to prohibit them from things that we recognize uh, are harmful for ourselves as well as the society. He went on uh, quoting another verse, you know, from the Quran wherein uh, Luqman is advising his son, you know, to command the good and prohibit the evil and to be patient, wasbir ala ma You know, that he should be patient about uh, whatever afflicts him when trying to command the good and, and prohibit evil because the process of command, commanding the good and prohibiting evil is not an easy process because the forces of evil in the society are great. It means that they will turn against the individual. They will try to harm him in different ways. It may be in just speech. The person, you know, speaks to you badly or Ignore, you know, ignoring you, trying to make you feel bad, or slamming a door in your face, or you know, it can come in many different ways. But I mean, they, these forces will uh, try to repel, to stop the efforts that you're making. So, as Luqman uh, advised his son, we have to be patient with whatever we find ourselves in the wild, commanding the good and perpetrating evil. You know, and as Allah goes on to say, in the Ghanik and Azimur, and that, you know, that is one, you know, of the great Azimur, uh, you know, what you can't say, this is the Yeah. 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 Yeah.
you know, it is it is an expression of of steadfastness and resolve and and in in, in affairs, you know. It, it, but it was one of the best expressions. Of it. Uh, he also pointed out that you know we shouldn't have regrets in what we're doing. We shouldn't give up, feel the situation is hopeless or in the process because, of course, you know, with, with so many uh, people like likely to reject what you're saying or ignore what you're saying, and it's very easy for you to feel it's at the point, you know, and to give up trying to call these people. Uh, and he quoted again, of course, another verse in the Quran where Allah says. You know, that there, there is nothing required of the Prophet or the Messenger beyond conveying the message. I mean, that was a principle for Prophet Muhammad wherein Allah was saying that to him because of the sadness that he felt when his people rejected his message. So Allah is saying that to him to, to build up his own uh, strength, spiritual uh, resolve. At the same time, that is advice to us that we will find ourselves because we become like the the um, guardians of the message after the Prophet Muhammad and we are carrying out the duty that he did. I mean, without, of course, the re- reception of revelation, we're carrying on that message. He said, this is our duty that we should convey, even if it is only one verse from the Quran that we have gained from the Prophet Muhammad we should convey that to others. So our duty is, as messengers in that sense, to carry the message of Islam to the rest of mankind. And we will face what the Prophet Muhammad faced. Maybe not on the same scale, but we will face a version of it. And so this advice is also there for us, that our duty is to convey the message. How people respond to it is not our responsibility. But of course, the way in which the message is conveyed is critical to some degree in terms of whether people will accept the message or not. Because you may have the truth, the best advice, but the way in which you give it is so gross that people don't want to hear it. Right? This is why, you know, elsewhere Allah said, you know, This is related to the same thing. We should call to the path of our Lord with Shikmah wisely, and with good uh, speech, good preaching, a good you know, good way in which we, we convey it. So we have to do it wisely, meaning that there are times. I mean, you may want to you know command the good, but commanding the good in a group sometimes may be evil. It'd be better to take the person aside and tell the person on the side, you know, this is not really right. You know, you should really do this or rather than telling in the, in the group, because in the group that person now, his ego is hurt, he's insulted, he, you know, he's going to react, and you know, of course. So this is again, this is part of the shikmah. You know, as they say, لِكُلِّ مَقَامٍ مَقَالٍ You know, in Arabic, they say that, you know, every, every context or every situation has an appropriate thing to be said. I mean, there's a time, and we, we say there's a time and a place for everything, right? The correct time, correct place. So, in the process of commanding the good and prohibiting evil, we have to do that wisely so that we provide, you know, whatever we can to make that message as acceptable to others as possible. And, of course, he pointed out that this duty, the duty of calling to the good and prohibiting evil, is not one of particular individuals. It is for everyone. Every Muslim is required to do it to some degree. The degrees will vary based on abilities. You know, it could be children, it could be grown-ups, you know. It could be people, you know, who are in position of authority or people who are not. We should never feel that this job is only the duty of those people in authority, or those people, you know, who are uh, controlling the situation. No, this is the duty of every single person. Of course, it is to different degrees. Now, as the Prophet Muhammad said, and he quoted, Imam quoted, Whoever among you sees an evil should change it with his hands. And if he can, then with his tongue he should speak out against it. Uh, and, and if he's not able to do even that, then he should hate it in his heart. And that is the lowest level of faith. 
This is to say that one who is in a position of authority, who can change the situation with his hand, he is obliged to change it with his hand. It is not acceptable. If he is not considered clear of responsibility, if he is in a position to change it with his hand, then he only speaks out against it. Speaking out against it is only acceptable for those who are unable to stop it with their hands. And similarly, speaking out against it is for those or hating it in the heart is for those who are unable to speak out against it. If one is in a position to say something, then something should be said. It's not accepted that a person just hates a thing in the heart when he can say something against it. If he hates it in his heart when he should be saying something against it, that's considered the lowest level of Iman. Hating it in the heart may be the highest level of Iman if the person has no other choice but to hate it in the heart. I mean, if that is what the circumstance, that's the only opportunity that a person has. A person is in jail, for example, <coughs> you know, chained up on the walls in a, in a jail, in a situation of oppression. His saying anything will not be heard, and he definitely can do nothing. Then his hating the evil that is taking place in that situation is the most that he can do. That's not considered the weakest level of man in his case. That is in the case of those who are able to say something and to do something. For them to hate it in their hearts alone and not say or do, then that is not considered appropriate. And as such, it's considered of the lowest levels of Iman. But of course, the hatred in one's heart has to be there even when one is prohibiting it with the hand or speaking out against it. Because if one is changing a situation with the hand, but they don't really hate it in their heart, then this change is not a real change that they will be rewarded for by Allah. It is just for show. You know, just to, to placate some segment of the society, you know, because there's a religious segment of the society that is opposed to this. So, this individual, because he wants to get in good favor with this wing, you know, and keep them in his support, he will make some change here, right? But his intent is not, he doesn't hate it, he likes this thing, actually. But he is just doing it to keep those people happy. So, this again, there's no reward for that, even though it's changing his hand. Similarly, the person speaks out against it. And of course, you know, there's one hadith where Prophet has said that, you know, the greatest martyr, you know, is one who speaks the word of truth, you know, to a, uh, an evil tyrant, right? You know, and it's killed. Or speaking out. Uh, the Imam made a, uh, we mentioned, of course, the issue of, you know, ta'awun, that is cooperation in, uh, prohibiting the good and the evil, and this is something that wherever we're able to cooperate, we should try to do it together. I mean, there's something, it's a responsibility, it's a social responsibility community responsibility, responsibility of the society, that, and everybody should feel that. You should, should be part of the education, everybody should feel a, a personal responsibility. Because when there is no personal responsibility, then you have a situation, as you have, for example, in the States, where people may be, you know, killed, raped, you know, robbed on the streets, and people just keep walking by. You know, nobody wants to get involved. You know, in a bar, in one corner of a bar, somebody is beaten to death, the others are sitting there, you know, they don't want to get involved, right in front of their face. Nobody wants to get involved. <coughs> they don't feel that responsibility. They fear getting involved and getting hurt. You know? Whereas, from Islamic point of view, you know, children, of course, should be encouraged to prohibit the evil, to command the good from their young. It should be a part of their nature. They grew up with that kind of feeling. You know? Where in the West, you know, if a father, if a son says to a father, you know, Dad, you shouldn't be smoking, I mean, he's liable to get his head knocked off, right? Whereas in the Islamic society, he is, he is encouraged to say that. If he sees his parents doing something wrong, he's encouraged to tell them. So if you're, you know, your child should be brought up in that way, so the child is open in that sense. If they see something that they feel is wrong, it may not actually be wrong, but they think it's wrong, they still tell you about it. Of course, it is a way to, for it to be told, right? But they should tell you about it. And you should encourage them to tell you about it. So that, because you're human, and there's going to be times when you're going to slip, when you might fall into some error. And if you, if you have not trained your children in telling you, you know, then what you are going to do 
is you're going to become an example for them. You see, if they're not trained and encouraged to prohibit or speak out against things which are wrong, then you're training them to follow you in whatever you do. This is what you're training to do. And you don't want that. You don't want your children to blindly follow your own actions. Because for sure you're liable to be making some errors. So you have to encourage them to be out against what you Yeah, you have to practice, but I'm just saying you have to give them things for them to understand that you are human. You can make a mistake. So you, they should tell you. This is how they should feel, you know, that ah, dad made a mistake. So, so, you know, they shouldn't feel shy to tell you. Because when they grew up with that kind of feeling, you see, then they will be constantly looking out for what is good for themselves as well as for others. And this is a natural state. This is, a, you could say, part of the natural state of the, the believer, that he is, you know, constantly opposed to evil and commanding that which is good. And the, the Imam gave a kind of, you know, example just to help to bring the idea home, you know, from a physical point of view, that, you know, when we feel that anyone in our house is sick, physically, the child is sick, whatever, you know, we are ready to rush with the child to the doctor to get it treated. You know, we want to get that sickness taken care of. But the spiritual sicknesses are no different. We should have the same drive to want to cure the sickness the same way that, you know, if we have a physical sickness in the home, we want to treat it. Right? And the, the spiritual sicknesses are even greater. I mean, the danger and the harm which comes from them are much greater than the physical sicknesses. So, you know, he just mentioned that to, to, to say that, you know, we should not separate the two. We have both the spiritual and physical side, and the same way we're concerned about the physical side, we should also be concerned about the spiritual side. And the same way that when we see physical sicknesses, we try to seek to find out what are the reasons, what are the causes. You know, it's not only that we just go and treat it, get medicine for it, but we try to find out why this happens so that we can stop it from happening again. The same way we should approach the spiritual sicknesses. If we see a spiritual sickness, we don't only try to stop it, but we should try to seek what are the reasons, what are the causes which led to this spiritual you know, sickness, this evil, and try to then handle the causes, because this is the way you stop things, you know, ultimately. It's not enough, for example, you cut off the hand of the thief, you know, you chop off the head of the, you know, the murderer. If there are factors in the society which are promoting this, you know, for example, drugs or whatever, then you have to go to these sources and try to stop these sources, which are creating the corruption and so on in society. He also quoted an, a hadith of Prophet you know, which relates also to this topic, and it was of a group of people who are on a boat. You know, some on the top and some on the bottom of the boat, right? And the people in the bottom were offended by the people in the top. And uh, they decided they wanted to get some water to drink, and they didn't want to ask the people in the top. So they started to chop a hole in the bottom of the boat to get some water. Now, one person from among them, you know, asked them, what are they doing? So they said they want to get the water. And the Prophet was saying that, you know, if he doesn't now stop these people from doing this, not only will they destroy themselves, but they'll also destroy, you know, the whole group, the whole boat is going to sink, everybody's going to go. So, I mean, in this way we look when we see somebody involved in some error in the society, you know, his, the harm from that can come back on the whole society. We shouldn't look at it as being restricted to that individual. And this is why you see that you know, Islamic laws uh, are so severe, especially for uh, crimes which affect the society as a whole in, in very obvious sense. You know, like those of, you know, uh, intoxicants and, and uh, fornication and adultery. These type of crimes which, you know, affect the, the state of the whole society. Uh, the Islamic law is very severe about it for the protection, not only of the individual, but of the society as a whole. So, 
you know, he said then, you know, coming on a practical level, that, you know, if we see our neighbors or we know people who are dealing in the banks and interest, they're putting their money in the banks and they're receiving interest, that we should, you know, speak to them about it, try to collect them, try to clarify to them the error that is involved, you know, that this is totally prohibited in Islam. It doesn't matter whether the banks here, for example, are giving interest. That's not what makes it allowable or makes it not allowable. The point is that Allah in the Quran has prohibited it. He and the Prophet have declared war on those people who continue to take and give interest. You know, and the Prophet has said that, you know, interest has 70 different branches. The simplest of those branches is equivalent to a man having sex with his mother. So, I mean, this is t- telling us that, you know, riba is, is something which is, is something uh, interesting, something which is so despised that the Prophet by Allah's command, is equating it with incest. I mean, so gross is sin. So, we should encourage others, if we know of others who are involved in their money, their banks, etc., you know, to, where they're receiving interest, they, you know, we should encourage them to give this up and to go towards the Islamic banks or, you know, invest their money in other ways. Similarly, you know, if in our families, you know, we, we notice a brother and his wife is not covering herself properly Islamically, you know, exposing herself or daughters are exposing themselves, you know, then it's also our duty then to speak to them because they are the people who are responsible. They are the people who can change it with their hands because they are the head of the family. And then, the women themselves, of course, they're in error, but the person who is responsible to, to correct that error in the family is the head of the family, the father. So if we know, you know, brothers who, in whose families there are these laxities, then it is our duty to mention it to them. He quoted, uh, towards the end, he quoted the Surah Asr, you know, which is a surah in which emphasis is placed on righteous deeds, belief, and what in the end is referred to as a tawasal bin haq. And that is, you know, ad- advising each other to be truthful and with the truth, <coughs> calling people to the truth, and also advising them to be patient. The idea of their truth calling each other, advising each other, and also to be patient, because once you're involved in that process of advice, then you have to be patient. And of course, Prophet also said, Deenul Nasiha, you know, that uh, religion is also good advice, sincerity in giving us that advice. And uh, in the second part of the khutbah, he just summed up, revised the, um, the principle of calling to the right and prohibiting the evil, and he pointed out that there are three basic conditions that those who are going to embark on it should uh, have, they should fulfill. One is that they should have knowledge about what they're calling people to. Right? I mean, we shouldn't be going on some vague piece of information. In other words, if we are brought up with something from our culture, or we heard somebody say, without really getting solid evidence, then this is not enough for us to go and call people to what we believe here now to be right. It's not enough. We have to find out the truth of the matter. When we know what is the truth of the matter, based on the Quran, Sunnah, you know, and the, the information given to us by the early righteous scholars and you know, knowledgeable people of this time, then we have that body of knowledge, then we can call people to this, because it's based on knowledge. In so many places in the Quran also Allah, you know, tells us that we should ask those who know. If you really don't know, فَسَلُوا عَلَى الذِّكْرِ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ You know, also, وَلَا تَقْفُوا مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ You know, we should not be, you know, taking positions on things in which we have no knowledge. The second condition is that we should be gentle in giving advice. We have to do it in a gentle manner. You know, Allah says also in the Quran, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضَّلْ غَلِيدَ الْقَلْبِ مَنْ فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلَكَ You know, if you were, in reference to Prophet you know, if you were uh, rough and gruff, you know, in the way that you, that you gave the message, the people would run away from you, run away from around you. You wouldn't listen. So it is essential that the person has, you know, 
a gentleness in the way in which he advises others. And I'm sure we've experienced that. You know, so many times, first we'll be doing something wrong, but, you know, if you react to it, you say, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, then the person, even though what you're saying is true and everything, they're just uh, not taking it the right way. They won't take it the right way. I mean, very few people are able to take it the right way. Whereas, you know, when you catch yourself, you know, <laughs> you, you tell it to them sort of gently, you know, really, you know, it's not so good and you know, maybe we should try something. Then people, you know, there's a possibility, a good possibility that they will accept it. And the third condition he mentioned, you know, is that of patience. That we have to do it patiently. We have to be patient with how people are going to react. We should not give up if we told the person once. You know, we try a different approach. And we don't give up on the person who feel that there's no hope for this person, you know, until we have no opportunity. You know, or if the person just tells you, you know, don't get out of my face. I, I don't want to see you. Just, just shut up. I don't want you. You know, if the person puts it that way where you have no chance, there's no, okay, well, then you have to, you know, you, you have to leave that situation. I mean, perhaps, not necessarily that you write the person off, because that person may come to you in another circumstance, you know, for something else when they need you, right? They come to you now, they've forgotten this and they've come to you now in need, and in that time of need, whilst you're helping them, you also remind them of the other thing. Right? You give back to them again, inshallah. So, you know, this is the approach, you know, that the person who is going to be involved in calling others to righteousness and prohibiting evil, I mean, he has to have that preparedness, you know. He doesn't give up hope. He puts his trust in Allah. He knows Allah rewards him for every time he tries. It doesn't matter how the people react. It doesn't save them. I mean, it will to some degree. We're human, right? But what it is is that we try not to let it save us or affect us to the degree that it affects our ability to continue with the process of calling to the good and within the evil. So, I don't know if there are any comments or questions. Actually, I want everyone to deliver another question on my mind. Uh, while I, was before, I was discussing this thing with my brother, you know, while coming to the mosque. Uh, the first question is, uh, you see, uh, uh, somebody says that, why you are, for example, why you are calling people non-Muslims, non-Muslim people Christians? On the other hand, we don't have, we don't have a typical or optimal Islamic community. So our call will be nothing, will be, will be ignored. Since we don't have this typical or optimal Islamic community, so what we, we call people Islam, they because they are too Muslim, what they are doing, what they are support for drinking, or, and so on, so on, all these evil things. So, whatever you call them, they will see, they are calling, they are calling Because he says that Muslims are not giving a good example. So, his, uh, I mean, his argument is this, that whatever you call non-Muslim people, Islam they won't accept. So, you should forget about this one, and go call Muslim Krishna. And when you reach that, that community, or that uh, optimal or typical community, or Islamic community, then call people. Then at that time they will listen to you. Well, if he, this, so approach, how this, so this approach is, is incorrect because our duty is to follow the way of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm -hmm. You see? The Prophet Muhammad, when he was in Mecca, when he was all alone, did he have the optimal community to call people to Islam? No. So to say that is ridiculous. It is going against the way of the Rasul. This is not the way at all. No. You, your duty is to call whoever you can, whether it's Muslim or non-Muslim. That's the point. There's no difference. It's all the same. Your duty is to pass on the message. Whoever hears it can benefit from it, that is with Allah. That is with those people. But your duty is to call. The Prophet Muhammad he called at a time when there was no Muslim. He kept on calling all the way through. The Muslims, this is, a, this is just a part of, of the duty of the Muslims to inform others 
of Islam. The Prophet said, Bandhu Ali will know I and convey to others, even if it's only a verse that you have heard from him. Convey it to others. He didn't say when you set up Islamic State or make sure you have your Islamic State or make sure you're practicing everything you're saying, or all these different things. No. Because even though we say ideally it is better that a person be practicing what they're preaching, it is ideally the fourth point. It doesn't mean though that simply because you are not practicing it, you shouldn't preach it. You know, teaching, it is ideally the fourth point. It doesn't mean though that simply because you are not practicing it, you shouldn't preach it. You know, you still it's your duty to preach it. You tell people, listen, you know, I'm in error. You know, I mean, the thing is that you shouldn't try to, if you know you're doing something, right, which is Islamically it is not correct, right? It doesn't mean, like as well, it doesn't mean that you no longer call people to this thing. You call them and inform them that you are in error. So that they don't, you know, think, ah, oh, look at this guy. You say, I, I'm trying to change myself, you know, I'm trying to improve myself, you know, but we should not be doing this. So, our duty, the calling, is on many, many different levels. And the result of our calling, this is with Allah. Whether a state gets set up, a Muslim community is formed, the ideal example is there, this is with Allah ultimately. And we have no way to determine the future and to, to say, well, we will leave calling others to Islam after we accept establish Islam. Well, we have got any guarantee that we will establish Islam? No. So therefore, it, as long as one is capable of calling others to Islam, one should do so. So we have that, that approach is rejected, one from the point of view that it's against the sunnah of the Prophet two from the point of view that we have no guarantee of the results of our calling, and the command that has been given to us is to call all. We make no distinction between Muslims and non-Muslims except in our method. Of course, what we used to call Muslims will be different from what we used to call non <laughs> <laughs> هو يبغاني اخذ ايش؟ no, it's, it's not for us to make it. We have to read that ID, ID, ID community for now because we are forcing many things and we don't have to I know, I, I believe that we should, we should work better. We call people, we call people, now we call them both. And the circumstance will determine, you know, how we make the percentage. This is, it will depend on the circumstance. If the circumstance is such that there are more Muslims around you than non-Muslims, there's more opportunity to call them than there is the non-Muslims because you might be in a situation in your job, for example, the non-Muslims are all big-time professionals, you know, who you cannot reach. They don't even want to hear you. Whereas you have, you know, around you, you know, Muslims who are simple Muslims, you know, who are being affected, yes, by these prophets, but they're, you know, simple Muslims from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, also simple Muslims around you, but they've got many errors. So you concentrate your efforts there, of course. Not that you give up on these people, but your, the concentration of your efforts will be there because that's the circumstance you're in. And that circumstance can reverse itself. You may be in a situation where your boss is Muslim and he is drinking alcohol, for example. You know, and you have the people in the administration, these are they're bad Muslims, bad examples. Right? But they don't want to hear anything you have to say. But you have around you all these Filipinos, non-Muslims who are working, working with you. And you have a beautiful opportunity to give Islam. Then you must give most of your efforts there. You go according to the second step. It's not for us to, to say it should be this percentage or that percentage or 50 50 or what. No. Because we, we go according, we use, and this is wisdom now, it's the hikmah. We're using the wisdom in the circumstance. We give our da'wah based on the circumstances. <laughs> and, and he gave an example. He said that there was an American. He was not a serious 
and you become a Muslim. And when he goes, I think, or he travels to Jordan, then he will become a Muslim. He will become again. Yeah, well, I I get you cannot, you cannot give this example because it may, I say, I answer him this one, it may be something that he has not taken Islam as a, something significant or something seriously, or the one who preached him or given Islam, he didn't not, give it properly. He has yeah. not given power and has not explained that he may face such a situation like that. It may be converted against Christianity. And not only that, you see, in the Prophet's time, you know, when he came back from the Mi'raj and he told people about it, there were people who apostated. They were Muslims at the time who apostated. When the Prophet told this, you know, the Quraysh got this message, they were running around telling the different Muslims, you know, listen, you, you, you see, what he's saying, he went up into Amazon, yeah. and many of them apostated. They came, remember, to Abu Bakr, and then Abu Bakr said, if he said he gets, he receives revelation from, from the heavens, I accept it. And that's why he was called a Siddiq. But there were other people at the time who apostated. There were people at the time also in Pakistan when he died. The people who apostated at the time. You know, no, I'm not talking about Omar. No, Omar didn't apostate. Yeah. <laughs> At least he got some, you know, uh, he, he dealt with it in a way that uh, the Muslims did not expect him to. Yeah, but I'm, what I mean is though is that the, the, the issue of apostasy, this happened in the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu time. So we cannot, and we are not responsible for apostasy of an individual. That individual is responsible. There are errors made in the method in which it was given to him or the method in which he, he took it. If there's anything we can do to, to correct it, we try to correct it. But the issue of apostasy, this is something which existed in the time of the Prophet Muhammad and will exist until the of Qiyamah. So that is no argument. Inshallah, let's, we maybe should go on to another topic. If you have another question, I, I think we have given the point. Of your answer, your brother, is good. My second question is, is the thing that you said, I'm not going out there. I just arrived during your uh, Now you see, now people get people in Amnesty trying to shameful or doubt about what is called Muhammad. So what are your, what I mean, what is a good answer for according to that or against that? So to replace something else, to defeat all these, these, these doubts and stuff. So they are afraid of those things, when they mention this name, they get nervous and so on. So you are a mother. You and my brother too. Take it easy. You know, this is an unfortunate situation. Yes. Where, although in a Muslim society, you know, you should have people who command the good and prohibited evil, the method in which it is being carried out. You know, this idea of gentleness, this has been lost, as the Imam pointed out. This was a second condition, one has to be gentle. So running around and beating people with sticks, you know, shouting at people and this and that, of course, they're just chasing the people away. They're doing the opposite, although what the idea of what they're doing is a good idea, the way in which they're carrying it out is error. So it is only, the only thing you can do is explain to people that the concept itself, is a good concept, which should be in, in any righteous society. But there are conditions. One of the conditions for this to be done is that the people should be gentle. And unfortunately, these people have not gotten that message. It does not, need, uh, it does not match with the thing what people took, Well, hikmah, no, there's no hikmah, no wisdom, no, yes. yes. This is error. Which gives this impression about what the one who has been called the power of I mean, you can explain to them that, you know, the idea mutawa actually it means a volunteer. A person who voluntarily calls people to good. In fact, these people are not doing it voluntarily. I mean, they're being paid now to do it. It's a job. So, because it is not really coming from the heart, you see, this also affects the way in which they do it, you know? 
whereas originally it's the idea of a person, this is, this is, this is an ideal that a person would voluntarily go out and call them, up. Many of them are sincere and think they do it, but they do not, you know, they might not understand the right way to do it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, defending them, but at the same time, once a lady or some ladies come to the kingdom and they know the instructions before even they come here that they have to cover and do this, and they go in the streets and in the markets without this, I think this is just the first step. Like the government or the state here has declared the instructions how should they, you know, uh, look in the streets and do these things. So the, these people, when they deal with the ladies or with the others in this way, they bear in mind that they know in advance about this. And when they treated them gently and they experienced this for, for a long time, say for five years or eight years, and with the same person, with the same faces, and they do not stop. It might be the reason that, you know, they deal with them in this way. Because I know many, many, you know, examples. He kept calling him for Salat many times. And he comes by, he passes by his shop many times to close the shop. And every day, he did that he sees the He has no choice and he has got the power. I mean, the authority has given him the right to deal with it in this way. So he takes his stick and goes and beats him up. You know, after calling him many times, this was, I think this is the way the majority of them, not all of them, because some of them are just vigilant. They come from, you know, the tent right on and they, they start the work. Well, inshallah, we hope that, you know, that is the case for most. Yeah. Because most of the stories that I hear, you know, it seems to be most in the other direction. Yes, you know, it's the few. And they have, they have already stopped everything. What is, what, is the, what is the result? What we, what we see in the streets now. But once they were there, even dealing with it, you know, not in the right way, at least uh, they minimize it. At least. In Timeri now, if you go to Timeri, you wonder. Does <laughs> <laughs> anyone here have a scene without these people in the world? Does anyone here see that? Not in yeah. the message. Yeah. After Salat al Jumar, those are got some, you know, from the court. And the judge declared that they should be, you know, beaten. Those who are in prison, those who have done something, you know, wrong, some sins. But in the street, they even just try to threaten. There's a lot of factors though, you know. On one hand, it is from their point of view. On the other hand, it's also from the point of view of the authorities in terms of giving them the proper support, you know. Making this, making this information you know, really available. To the court, thinking that they will be punished and the court release them. And it happens and everybody knows it. So the reaction is to deal with it in the street. You know, the media, I mean, if, for example, the media promotes the opposite, you know, if the media promotes the opposite, then again, it's just creating a bigger problem. So, I mean, there should be support for these kind of actions, you know, from all the different segments of the society. Anytime you find that it's only one segment that is trying to do it and the whole rest of the society is going in the other direction, you can't blame it. it's going to be unsuccessful. I mean, there will be some benefit, but it will be minimized. So the error goes beyond them. There's part of it is in teaching them and everything, but it goes beyond them. The error is on a much bigger scale. Yes. To be fair. Thanks, <coughs> No, I Yeah, it is as applicable. For example, where you know, Masjid Taqwa, for example, they shut down an area that they operate, you know, with the crack houses where crack was being sold, you know, drugs were being sold in the area that they live. For them to go and shut these places down, this is part of Amr bin Mahruf. Because in doing this, they also, you know, uh, promote Islam. Showing that Islam is, is prepared to try to, you know, it is opposed to this thing so strongly that it is prepared to shut these things down. That created, a, that created a, you know, a lot of uh, good response to, to uh, the Islamic message. You know, of course.
to the degree that they're able. Of course, the, you know, the government structure there, once you're under a non-Islamic system, I mean, you'll be limited as to what you can do. But within the limits of what you can do, you should. If there are, for example, uh, committees which are set up to stop some evil, say pornography. You know, at one time there was even a committee which was set up to stop the, um, the, the record uh, industry, recording industry from these vulgar, filthy songs and so on and so There's no harm for Muslims to join in that. You see, as the Prophet ﷺ had joined in what they call the Hems al-Fudud, right? You know, that there was a time when they were having a, uh, having a committee there in Mecca which was trying to deal with some, some evil in the society. And he joined in it. And they asked him. Any other questions? Uh, do you recall what was the last hadith? Is? The last hadith. Oh, that was the last one? Okay. Abu Huraira reported that Allah's Messenger saw a man sleeping on his belly. So he said, this is a posture of sleeping which Allah doesn't like. A man was lying on his stomach sleeping, and he said, this is a posture of sleeping which Allah doesn't like. Indicating, you know, from an Islamic point of view, and we, inshallah, when he first the hadith reading from going to fiqh, this then it's classified as being makru or something disliked. Not sinful, but disliked in Islam, meaning that if one avoids doing it, one is rewarded for avoiding it. And if it is your habit to sleep on your stomach, if you now decide, based on what the Prophet has recommended here, to now try to sleep on your side, or on your back instead of sleeping on your stomach, you will be rewarded for that attempt this effort on your part. Of course, if you go to sleep on your side, and in the course of sleeping you wake up in the morning, there you are back on your stomach, you're not held to account, you know, for that, right? You're rewarded for your intent of going to sleep on your side, you know, because you're not held to account for anything when you're in a state of unconsciousness. So, so the point is that we should avoid to whatever degree we can sleeping on our stomach, and those who are under our uh, control, children, etc., we should try to encourage them to sleep on the side or on the back. And, yeah, there's no, I mean, he said that Allah dislikes it, okay? That was the reason that the Prophet gave. And uh, myself, I know on one occasion when I was in Panama on a trip doing some dawah, uh, the community there had asked me, you know, what was the reason? Why is Islam dislike sleeping on the side? You know, why does Allah dislike it? Well, I, I told him I really didn't know. I mean, the Prophet ﷺ did not clarify this beyond saying that Allah disliked it. Right? I know that in, when I was with Jamaat Tabliq, you know, they had said that, you know, they advised you not to sleep on your stomach when you go out to four months because the chances of having, you know, wet dreams and creating problems for yourself is greater. But the point is that, uh, you know, women may sleep on their stomach and this situation is not the same. So, this really is not a sufficient uh, explanation, and I would not use it, you know, as an explanation per se. But uh, alhamdulillah, you know, just uh, while I was going from there, taking a flight from there to Guyana, and uh, on the flight, they had a magazine, it was Time Magazine. And this Time Magazine, it was talking about back problems in America, the different problems that they have, the operations they have to do for slip disc, curvature of the spine, all the different things. They went through the, most of the issues dealing with this, the different medical advancements and dealing with these back problems, everything, right? And at the end of the whole article, said the article, at the end there were doctor's recommendations. Number one on the list was, do not sleep on your stomach. Number one, they said sleep on your side or on your back. And they explained why. They said, because the backbone is the heaviest bone structure in our body. When we lie on our stomach, there's nothing to support it. So it sags downwards, because all that's in front of it is just intestines and, you know, lungs and so on. So it sags downwards, there's no support for it. Whereas, you know, when you lie on your side, because it's not very flexible on the side, nor on your back you're giving it direct support, you see, this is the best, you know, posture. And they said that lying on the stomach was the main cause 
of curvature of the spine, what they call <coughs> way back. For old people in America, very common people, you know, hunched over their back like this. This is because of eating. Yeah, when they get older. You know, so, alhamdulillah, there may be other harm too. I mean, this is not to say that this is the reason why it was forbidden, but you see, it is, this is modern science bringing out the wisdom which is in the divine commandment. It is only confirmation of the, the basic idea, you know, basic philosophy concerning Islamic law, that those things which have been prohibited and disliked by Allah and His Messenger, these are things which are harmful for us. Allah is not prohibiting things just for the sake of prohibiting them. It's not abbas. You know, this is, there is wisdom. Allah is Hakim. He is the wise, Al-Hakim. So the things are done for good reason. There is harm in it for us, one way or another. If the harm is extremely great, which goes not only to the individual but goes to the society, it becomes haram. But if the harm is restricted only to the individual, makruh. It's harm. There's harm there. So we as Muslims, we accept that. That Allah has forbidden this thing or is disliked this thing, this is something which is harmful for us. So we avoid it on the basis of that. We don't wait until we find what is the reason before we accept it. Because similar with the issue of the pig. You know, it is in recent times when they developed a microscope on this that they were able to find out that the pig is the carrier of trypnosis. You know, a sickness which is which devastates the body, it doesn't kill you, but it makes you quite sick, right? And the main carrier is the pig. <coughs> this is medically identified in the last century. But the point is that Muslims, over the last 1300 years, yeah. protected themselves from that, without, you know, without having to know the reason why. And even they hadn't, uh, they hadn't had any, you know, uh, I mean, no, the animal itself was not available in the mentally here. But because of the future, because Islam is, for that time and for all the times up to the, the Day of Judgment, it, it was revealed that the, the Muslims should avoid it. But in fact, when you study the, the animal life those days, you, the you don't know not, how, yeah, it's not available that. day. But, but in any case, no, still even in the early days, eh? maybe they can find it because they were somewhat close to Syria yeah. yeah. and Rome. Syria and, and Egypt and, and places like this. Perhaps. Perhaps. The ayahs of this one are revealed in Surah Al-Ma'idah and the others, you know, nothing in Arabia. Well, this is, no, this is showing, this is, no, but this is showing that the, that the Qur'an and the commandments of the Qur'an were not specific for the Arabs, to the people specifically to whom it was revealed, but it was for all mankind. Another thing concerning sleeping on the stomach, I, I heard a long time ago that it is related to the same hadith of uh, imitating speech of the shaitan. The shaitan uses his left to eat and to do you know, the good things he do, and he sleeps on his stomach. It's what I heard, but I'm not sure of. Yeah, About I didn't know. six or seven years ago, I heard it. The other, the other hadith, which is there, I haven't seen this uh, hadith. I mean, I haven't seen it, and, and really before you relate it, you would need to confirm that it is really from hadith, right? But there is another hadith on it, which I know of, which, in which Prophet has said, it is the way that the people of the hellfire lie. Mm-hmm. It's related to the way that the people of the hellfire lie. But to shaitan specifically, I didn't see that reference. Yeah. <laughs> shaitan and their brethren. Abu Huraira reported, are you again in one piece? Sorry, I thought we were waiting for a nice move. No, I saw you had gotten up, you know, sort of like you were getting such a leap. You're giving your knees a rest. Abu Huraira reported that the Prophet said that Allah likes sneezing and dislikes yawning. So when one of you sneezes, and says, all praise be to Allah. It is the duty of every Muslim who hears it that he should say to him in response, Ya Hamuk Allah, you know, that is, may Allah's mercy be on you. As for yawning, it is from Satan. 
When one of you yawns, he should check and stop it as far as he can. Because when one of you yawns, Satan laughs at it. Okay? So, this is part of the adab or mannerisms of the Muslims. That when he sneezes, he says, Alhamdulillah. Others around say, Alhamdulillah. And he can respond, and Yahidikumullah is Sahbalakum. May Allah guide you and make you well. <coughs> also, that he fights the yawn. I mean, it is just not his normal characteristic to be seated amongst people and, you know, cracking his mouth. Ah, you know, as people, it's very common that people doing this, right? In the course of discussions or whatever, something, ah. <laughs> this is just not a part of the Islamic uh, mannerism, right? But he fights it, he tries to stop it, you know, if he can eat it. So just, he expresses it inside without opening his mouth, or he covers his mouth. Right, that's the minimum, he covers his mouth. There's another hadith in which Prophet ﷺ is said to say, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم when he yawns. Because also, this is one of the uh, opportunities for Satan to possess people. And he may enter a person at the time of yawning. Because it's a time of weakness. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ is saying here that Allah likes the sneeze and dislikes the yawn. You see, this uh, Sneezing, another hadith where it says sneezing is close to life, it's like it enlivens you. Whereas yawning is close to death, because it's close to sleep. This is a sign when you're going off to sleep, you start this process of yawning. And sleeping is like the sister of death. You know, there's a reference made by Prophet to it. And you're mm-hmm. going to that state. Excuse me, there's a hadith when Allah made Adam, that the time, he, the minute he made him, he sneezed. So as soon as he sneezed, Allah said, Sidi Alhamdulillah. Okay, so this is, you know, so also this, of course when we sneeze and we say, Alhamdulillah, this, we're thanking Allah. I mean, this is part of the Islamic mannerism now, where we see that in, in, uh, even in a simple act, like sneezing, right, we are remembering Allah, we're thanking Allah. So this is something healthy and good for us, and we thank Allah, we remember Allah. So, uh, we can see this is one of the basic, I think, principles that you will find throughout the adab or etiquettes of the Muslims that the Prophet has provided for us. That we are given different phrases of praise, du'as, etc. to keep contact with Allah. Because if something happens to us from time to time, we, try, we, have, we use it as a means of remembering Allah. Because ultimately, this is what makes the difference between the believer and the disbeliever, is the remembrance of Allah. So, everything in Islam in terms of Salah, Zakah, Hajj, everything is geared towards helping us to remember Allah. And this, alhamdulillah, is even one of the acts. And even in the yawning, which is disliked, that we try to fight against and everything, still Prophet ﷺ said to say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan. Remember Allah, he's in this fact. Seeking refuge in him from Satan. Is there, is there a hadith where it says that Satan is the one that causes the yawn, like no more? No. Well, he says here that yawning is from Satan. Right? How? I don't recall a hadith of that saying. But it's implying here that it's from Satan. You know, that Satan has some factor in it. And there's another hadith which is authentic authority that Satan or the devil can enter you at that time. Right? This is why you should seek refuge in Allah. Because this is the, the point of, of possession is always at the point when a person is in a time of weakness, when his guard is down, when he's physically weak, whatever. This is the time when possession will take place. That's how we're giving a, a bad uh, image of the shaitan at that time, as if you're in the mouth of God. Yes, that's right. Yeah. As if you're in the mouth of the believer. Of course, if you're Yeah. When, when they yawn? Yeah, when he yawn, then he comes and blows his mouth. Comes and the shaitan comes and blows his mouth. Well, yeah, inshallah, maybe for next week if you get a chance to just look it up.
Okay, inshallah. I think if there are no more questions or comments, we'll stop today. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Inna ayat. That Allah give us the courage and the strength to command the good and prohibit the evil wherever we find it around us in our families and societies to the degree that we can. And we also ask that He help us to call others to this duty. Amen.